Our scripture reading comes from John chapter 10, verses 7 to 21. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and they know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us, Lord, and uh, as we look at your word and as we meditate on it uh, the next couple minutes, Father, uh, we pray that the words of my mouth uh, and the meditations of our hearts uh, would be pleasing to you uh, here this morning, Father. May you be glorified uh, in our midst, may you be honored, uh, and may we leave here changed as a result of having encountered you here this morning in your word. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Uh, I have to tell you that uh, typically I'm not really uh, into politics. I, I rarely ever write about them or, or tweet about them or, or post about them, and I even, even rarely uh, preach about them uh, or anything like that. But I have to confess uh, that I've been somewhat riveted by the political process this year. Uh, I've been riveted by both uh, the Democratic side of the process and the Republican side of this uh, primary process, and I can't seem to look away from the debates, much to my wife's dismay, of course, and uh, it's almost like looking at a car accident when you drive by it on the road, right? You, you just can't seem to look away from it all. Uh, well, this past week, I, I watched uh, the Republican debate, which I think was uh, on Fox Business News uh, on Thursday night, and uh, I feel like there's been so many debates this year, uh, more so uh, than any other debates that I can remember in this political process. Uh, but as I watched, and I've watched almost all the debates this year, as I watched, I kept thinking to myself that I still don't know who these candidates really are. I still can't get to the bottom, even after count, uh, countless amounts of debates, I still can't get to the bottom or get a picture of who these men and women really are. I can't seem to see through all the, the posturing and the politics to get to the core of the identity of these candidates. 
The reason I share that is because I think a lot of people think the very same thing about Jesus Christ. Maybe they've watched TV documentaries about Jesus Christ during the holiday season. Maybe they had a college course at one point on on world religions and they had a chapter where they had to study Jesus Christ. Maybe they've uh, learned uh, history and and seen wars that were fought uh, in the name of Jesus. They've heard politicians say that our country has been founded on Jesus or Judeo-Christian principles. And maybe they've even been to church and heard someone like me talk about who Jesus Christ is. But even after all that noise, they still wonder who this person Jesus was and who he is and what he means for them in their life. It's why over the next couple of weeks, we're taking some time to look at what Jesus said about himself in the Gospel of John. We're not looking at what others said about Jesus. We're not looking at what theologians have written about Jesus for years and centuries. We're looking at what Jesus said about himself, about who he claimed to be. If you were with us last week, we looked at a a passage in John chapter 8 where Jesus said that before Abraham was, I am. And what he meant by that is that he was superior to all the religious systems that had been in existence before and that he himself was the pre-existent God. It was a very powerful claim and many who heard it had a very difficult time understanding and believing what Jesus said. But this week, what I want to look at is something that Jesus said in John chapter 10. He said about himself, he said, I am the door. And this morning, I'd like to look at three different things about what that means. I want to look at the inclusive and exclusive nature of Christ, the shepherd character of Christ, and ultimately the abundance or the abundant life have in Jesus Christ. And if you tend to fall asleep, this popping will keep you awake throughout the process. The first thing I'd like to look at is the the inclusive and exclusive nature of Jesus Christ. One of the things that we believe in the gospel is that uh, Jesus came to bring salvation. He came to bring rescue to his people. He came to bring a way back to God that it had been blocked due to the, the sin and the rebellion of humanity. But there's both an inclusive and exclusive aspect to this. The inclusive aspect of his plan we see in verse 16 where it says this, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. See, often when you read the Gospels, you quickly realize uh, that Jesus' primary audience in most of his encounters were the Jewish people. And the Jewish people, if you read the Old Testament at all, you quickly discover that the Jewish people had a unique relationship with God. But the Jewish people themselves took that unique relationship and they misperceived it. You see, they believed that because they had a unique relationship with God, that meant they were the only ones who could have 
a relationship with God. And it became a source of, of spiritual pride and arrogance for the Jewish people. It became a means for them to consider themselves superior and for everyone else in the world to be some sort of second class or some sort of inferior people. And that's why Jesus says to the Jews, especially in this passage, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. In other words, Jesus is saying, my plan of salvation is bigger than just you. It includes all people of every language and of every tribe. It is for the whole world. What Jesus reminds them is that his plan of salvation, this gospel, is not just a culturally myopic gospel. And we can't be lured into thinking that it is that. Instead, God's plan of salvation is for the rich and for the poor. It's for the white, it's for the black, it's for Eastern cultures, it's for Western cultures, it's for African cultures and Middle Eastern cultures. It is inclusive. It is there for the whole world. But there is also an exclusive aspect to God's plan of salvation as well. Look at verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You see, what Jesus is saying was controversial in his day, and it certainly is controversial in ours as well. Because what he is saying here is that he is the only way for us to be saved. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only way to find escape from the wrath of God and the only way to find peace and life eternal. It echoes uh, another statement that Jesus said in John chapter 14, where he says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Statements like this don't get more exclusive. This is an incredibly exclusive statement. And I can't tell you how unpopular statements like this are in our culture today. We live in a culture that hates absolutes, right? The, the common thing you hear is that there is no absolute truths and we cannot make any absolute statements, which ironically is in and of itself, what? An absolute statement, right? The popular concept today is that all roads will eventually lead us to heaven. All that's important is that we have a sincere heart. And in the midst of all this, Jesus enters in and says this. He says, I am the only way. You see, our culture bristles at this. How could Jesus say something like this? How could he be so arrogant in that he makes himself and a relationship with him the only way? Well, it's interesting that people charge Jesus with arrogance. Of course, Jesus, if anyone had it, had the right. Jesus had the right to arrogance. In fact, he was God himself. 
But he didn't use that as an occasion for pride and arrogance. Instead, all the people that wrote about him only characterized him as meek and gentle and kind. But I think there's something different than arrogance that is going on here. I think there's even a more pragmatic or economical concern to what Jesus is saying here. And I struggled this week to try to to think of an illustration to try to help us understand what Jesus is really saying here. Imagine for a minute that you and I were at the bottom of a mountain, okay? We were at the bottom of a a very tall or very large mountain, and we needed to get to the very top of it. But overnight, while we slept, uh, it snowed, and the snowplow came out the next morning and only plowed one road that led to the top of that mountain, So you and I wake up this morning and we talk about how we are going to get to the top of the mountain. And you might say to me, well, all roads lead up to the top of that mountain. But I would say to you, okay, but only one of those roads has been plowed. Now, would you look at me and say, how could you be so arrogant and say that there is no other way up the mountain? I'd say to you, Arrogance really has nothing to do with it. There really is practically and economically only one way. You see, friends, the gospel tells us that you and I have offended a holy God who requires justice and punishment for the sins that you and I have committed. We cannot earn our way back into God's good graces. That road just simply won't work. We cannot build up our righteousness enough to make up for the sin that we've committed. That road won't work either. We cannot save ourselves. So instead, someone perfect had to come. Someone who was perfect had to take our punishment in our place. And the only one who could do that, the only one who could make a way, was God himself. The one who was perfect had to step in and to take our punishment. There was no other way. It isn't a matter of arrogance, friends. Instead, it's a matter of God's gracious provision. This is what makes Christianity both unique and exclusive. It's unique and different than all other world religions because no other world religions teach about a God who came down and died. But it is exclusive in the sense that it is the only way for us to be made right before God. Jesus is the only door that leads to God by virtue of his death and resurrection. So our passage, in our passage, we see an ex- inclusive nature to Christ but we, and, and an exclusive one. But what we also see is something even more precious and more intimate. We see the shepherd, the shepherd character of Christ. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. You see, when Jesus used this shepherd image, he was uh, employing uh, so many different images. Uh, If you're paying attention in our kids' story, that wasn't by accident. It keyed in on a bunch of the images that Jesus was employing when he talked about himself as a good shepherd. 
But there's two really powerful images that we are in danger of losing because we are not in the cultural moment in which Jesus first said these things. We aren't in a culture that has farms everywhere or is an agrarian culture like Jesus's was when he taught these stories. You see, back in Jesus's day, there were many shepherds and they were always tending their flocks all around. And Jesus uses a sheep as an example for us. And if you study this sort of thing at all, you'll know that sheep were not particularly bright animals. It's probably an apt description of you and I in the process. But what they were known for is the fact that they had an acute and discriminating ability or sense of hearing to them. And what that means is they would learn the distinctiveness of the voice of their shepherd. And when he called, the sheep would come running. In fact, in large towns, what often would happen is shepherds would come and they would have big corrals in these large towns. And different shepherds would would bring their flocks and they would corral them all together in these huge areas. And in order for the, the shepherd to get their sheep, all he would need to do would be to go to the front of that corral and begin to speak and to begin to call them by name. And the sheep would come running. They would come follow. And that's how they would be able to discriminate between all the different shepherds. They would separate themselves based on the voice of their shepherd. And what Jesus is saying here is that he is the good shepherd. And that when he calls, his people respond. They listen to his voice and they come running. But there's even another very neat image that Jesus is employing here. Because if you study the first century, you'll know that that when shepherds took their sheep away, when they were outside of the town, often what the shepherds would do is they would make makeshift corrals. They would make little fences and they would herd their sheep into these little fences, but they would not have the ability to create a door. So what would the sheep, what would the shepherd do? He would lay down in in the place of a door. He would lay down and he would sleep at the opening of this corral to make sure that if any sheep tried to get out, they would actually have to go over the shepherd. If any wolf wanted to come in and steal some of the the, the sheep, they would have to get over the shepherd himself. You see, there's a beautiful intimacy to what Jesus is trying to communicate here. In fact, that word for good also in the Greek means beautiful. What Jesus is promising here is something both good and beautiful. He's offering a beautifully intimate relationship that we can have in him. It's a relationship of safety. It's a relationship of care. And it's a relationship of of peace and mutual love. I don't know if you uh, followed the news this week, but several famous people died this week. It seems like there's, there's weeks like that. And uh, we opened our, our week learning uh, through the news that uh, David Bowie died this week. If you don't know who David Bowie is, that probably means you're young. Because David Bowie uh, was a musician. Uh, he uh, 
gosh, she was a musician for about uh, 20 years or so and kind of was very innovative and, and creative in his approach and did lots of different types uh, of music throughout. And uh, of course, there were lots of tributes to David Bowie on the radio all throughout the week this week. And uh, I heard one DJ uh, mention a quote that always impressed him about David Bowie. And I had to share it with you because I thought it was relevant. Uh, somebody asked David Bowie at one point, what is the thing that ties together all his music over all the years that he created the music? Is there, is there one distinctive characteristic to all of your music? And he said this, he said, the trousers may change, but the actual words and subjects I've always chosen to write with are things to do with isolation abandonment, fear, and anxiety. When I heard that, I thought, how sad. But I also thought, what an apt and true description of what life is like apart from God. And it reminded me that Jesus is our good shepherd, that he provides us relationship. He provides us with community. He provides us with belonging. And he provides us with peace. But there's something else that Jesus provides us as the good shepherd. And he mentions it twice in this passage. And it may be the most important thing that he says about what makes him the unique and ultimate good shepherd. And you read about it in verse 11. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. See, Jesus is telling the Jews and his followers what he is about to do. He's telling them that in order for the sheep like them and for you and I to find life, the shepherd would have to give up his life. He would give the ultimate token of his love and affection by allowing himself to be killed. And he did all this so he could become the door, so that he could provide a way, so that he could make a way for you and I to reach the Father. Jesus is our good shepherd. The last thing that we see uh, in our passage uh, is we see the abundance of, of Christ or the abundant life that Christ offers us. Uh, Verse 10, a verse that has meant something to me throughout my entire life of faith. It says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, many people, uh, they're not only deceived about Jesus, but they also think that uh, Jesus, if they were to accept him into their lives, that Jesus becomes the, the cosmic killjoy or the wet blanket on all the fun that exists in life. They believe that he came to take all their pleasures and joys away and to turn all of us into monks that walk around depressed all the time. But in fact, what Jesus is telling us in this passage is that he actually came to do the opposite. 
He came to bring us fullness of life. In fact, if you look at the Greek of this passage, it just doesn't mean that he came to give us life abundant. The word literally means he came to bring us a super abundance of life. After all, he was the one that designed life, so he knows what the fullness of life is really all about. William Barclay, who's one commentator, said this, it is only when we live with Christ that life becomes really worth living and we begin to live in the real sense of the word. Every morning uh, I wake up and uh, my first thing that I do every morning is I go downstairs and I brew coffee. My kids know don't ask daddy any important questions until he's done brewing his coffee and in, and in fact till he's had probably his first coffee. But one of my things that I do every morning is I go downstairs and, and I brew coffee and usually when the coffee's done uh, I, I enter into a great search and that is a search for a travel mug. You ever, you ever have one of these travel mugs? It's an insulated mug and you can fill it up and take it to work and it keeps your coffee hot. And I call it a great search because every morning I never can find one. I don't know if you ever have this problem, but I never seem to be able to find one. But I always know where they are. They're always in my car from the day before. So often what I'll do is I'll go outside and uh, I'll get the travel mug from uh, out of my car and I'll bring it into the house. But that creates another problem. If it's been sitting outside, it's what? It's cold. You don't want to pour hot coffee in a cold travel mug. So what I do is I, is I uh, take it to the faucet, I turn on the hot water as high as it can go so it's steaming, and then I put that travel mug on there and I just let the hot water rush into that travel mug for about two minutes. And within just a couple of seconds, the travel mug fills up with hot water and then the water starts spilling over on all the sides of the mug as it's just overwhelmed by all the water that is being poured into that travel mug. It's a very simple illustration, but it's what I thought of related to what we're talking about here this morning and the abundant life that we have in Jesus Christ. Because friends, this is what a relationship with Jesus is really all about. He pours daily the abundance of his blessing into our lives in such a way that we can barely keep up. We can barely handle it. It starts oozing out of all the parts of our being. We are overwhelmed that he, as our good shepherd, gave his life for us so that he could be a doorway to the Father. But we are also overwhelmed at the incredible amount of blessings and joy that he pours into our hearts and into our souls every single day. Every breath that we breathe in each moment is filled, it is chocked full, it is overflowing with the incredible blessings that we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is abundant life. This is life as God designed it. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for we were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Friends, Jesus Christ is the door. He is the good shepherd, and all he asks is that when he calls our name, that we cling to him in faith. And when we do, we experience life the way it was intended to live, life that is abundant. Let's pray.